Dr. Robin Henderson, and I am the host of Talk To Be Well. And we're here for a special live panel as part of the Work To Be Well Mental Health, Sub, uh, Mental Health um, Summit. And I'm very excited. Just as a reminder before we begin our program, it's my standard operating disclaimer. You know how this goes for me. The summit and our Q&A is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a mental health condition or any other medical problem. JJ is gonna be our fabulous panel moderator today. So I'm gonna cede the mic to JJ and join the panel. Okay, thank you, Robin. Um, we reviewed hundreds of questions from the registrations and came up with five amazing questions to ask today. So to begin today's um, panel questions, I would just like to ask um, everyone to kind of state their name in a small, brief, one sentence title or description of yourself. Um, and I would love to start out with Robin. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief of Behavioral Health at Providence here in Oregon. I'm also a, a Senior Clinical Advisor at Wellbeing Trust. My name is Mark Brown. I'm an Assistant Principal at Newburgh High School. I'm Jerry Turgeson. I'm a psychologist at Providence here in Newburgh and then have the opportunity to collaborate really closely with the Newburgh School District for emotional health and well-being of our adolescents. And I'm Tyson Payne. I'm a licensed psychologist with Providence also. I work at St. Vincent. Awesome. Thank you everyone for being here today. And um, so I think the flow is just going to be me asking you guys some questions and then one by one, um, or you can play off each other, however um, it goes, um, um, and answer these amazing questions we have today from our registration. And uh, today, our first question is going to be, what can staff members do to reach out to students who they feel are in trouble? Well, I'm not going to be shy. I'm going to jump right in and talk about, uh, you know, I think there's two ways to look at this. The one way that we talk about when we can be with our students and we can be in school, and I think we should talk about that. But right now in this time where we're quarantined and we're seeing our students through Zoom, some of the things that I've been inspired by are the stories that I read about teachers and administrators who are actually home visiting their students. And I think this is a really great time for if you've got a student that you haven't heard from, that you haven't connected with, and that you're worried about, uh, what a great opportunity to do a home visit from a safe distance and just say hi and check and, and see if they're doing okay. I'm curious what my other colleagues think. I would echo, I think one of the things that I have found to be really meaningful are those really intentional warm connections that staff members have been making with kids, whether it's a phone call, a text message, or using some of the other creative online formats or showing up in person has been a really, a really meaningful way to help kids be seen and connected. The other thing that I would really encourage staff members to think about is kind of this idea that if you see something, say something. So if you see a kiddo that's struggling or you see a family that maybe they're not as engaged as they would historically, that really doing that warm touch and say, I see you, I hear you, how are you? And how can we help to support you is a really meaningful way to bring those families in and help them get reconnected. 
And to kind of piggyback what Dr. Turgeson said also, it, it, if you do reach out to a family or a student and you're not getting a response, it doesn't mean that it's not helpful. Oftentimes, students don't know how to respond to adults who are showing them love, affection, and caring. And so the, I would encourage you to continue to send those messages, whether it's text, voicemail, or, or just a simple phone call. Those really do make a big difference. Yeah, I think, I think it all starts with relationships. And I know that uh, from the administrative side, we're seeing our students who we knew were struggling before the closure and then now are struggling during the closure. Um, it's much easier to make those connections if there's already that positive relationship. So maybe kind of a side tangent, what a good reminder for us as educators that the relationships have to come before the academics. And when we are back in the classroom, let's make sure that that is uh, what we put all of our focus, all of our energy into. And I think we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later but I wanted to bring that up now because that's something we're definitely seeing is something that's really helping is when there's already those connections. And then just like was mentioned, you know, sometimes as educators, I think we are hesitant or kind of nervous because we're not the mental health experts. We're not the professionals. We're not trained in that way. And that's okay. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to have all the answers. You got to make that connection. And then you got to bring in the other people who do have the resources, who do have the expertise. Um, but don't be scared to reach out, reach out, and then if it goes beyond what you're capable of or what you're comfortable with, reach out to those professionals. But yeah, just like was mentioned, just make those connections and make sure to tell kids you love them. Uh, I think there's a lot of kids at home right now, you know, they might not be hearing that or feeling that in their environment. And so I know I do a daily video every day and I always send off with, hey, I love you. Uh, and making sure that kids just hear that I think is important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mark, I think one of the things I love that idea of connection and that as staff members, we've talked about this a lot at Newbirth, that it is not your guys' job to be trained on how to do a risk assessment or how to really do comprehensive um, assessments of where kids are at from an emotional health standpoint, but you guys have the space and the relationships that you can start that dialogue and you can open that conversation and then having a workflow to get those kids to the right space, I think is a really important piece that can also help staff feel supported in that process of being able to open up a dialogue that I know if I start a conversation and a kiddo is struggling that I can take them, get them connected to a counselor in this way, that counselor can get them connected to a mental health specialist who can do more of a comprehensive risk assessment that you guys don't have to be kind of the be all end all, but really being able to help facilitate getting the right kids to the right space um, can be such a supportive, empowering component to making sure that these kids are again seen and held and get to the resources that they need to be successful. And See, then I want to I want to bounce off what you're saying. Oh, sorry, I want to bounce off what you're saying, uh, Jerry, because when we're talking about um, those immediate resources, things like Youth Line, Lines for Life, mm -hmm. Teen Line down in California, those are things that are on the Work to Be Well page. You can find them on all kinds of pages, but Youth Line and Teen Line especially, and there's a service in Washington. I'm losing the name of it right now are staffed by trained teenagers, trained peers who are there to talk with, with you, with your students, making those things available. I think that's all part of the ECPR curriculum too, isn't it, Jerry? Yeah. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and then I was just gonna say, and then once uh, the students get that support from the mental health experts, being there and being prepared to support them and welcome them back in and just be there to listen and love them after they get the immediate help that they maybe need, be that ongoing support afterwards and continue to just, just be there and be in relationship with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. Um, I 
Loved every bit of that. <laughs> and coming from a student, um, student standpoint as well, um, opening up can be very difficult to um, teachers and to people and staff members in your building because um, you don't really know if it's personally based off of like your connection with them and your relationship with them or if it's just them doing um, a, a part of their job. But um, I think students really know when teachers and staff members are looking out for them and when they um, do like have when they when teachers and staff like do ask if you um, need help or if you need those resources and so I just want to thank you all for um, for making sure that happens for students that you know and that you have relationships with um, and Mark was talking about this earlier um, about this question but um, what should the first thing student leaders activities directors and administration in our schools look to do as we return to school next year You want me to start this one off as the the school administrator? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think this is a totally in your wheelhouse, so you got it. So yeah, I know I'm involved in a lot of conversations right now with uh, administrators and educators all around the country, just kind of anticipating and really guessing right now, what is it going to look like and, and what can we expect? And I think my biggest piece of advice right now is don't overwhelm our students with the academics right when we get back. And I know that as administrators and edu educators, we're all anticipating that there's going to be bigger gaps in learning than we've ever seen before. And we're gonna have to find a way to work around that. And we're gonna have to do really good collaboration and, and planning. But if, if when students and when educators get back in our building, if the message we send to them is our scope and sequence and our curriculum maps are the most important thing, I think that's going to increase the anxiety and increase the stress that everyone is already going to have naturally. And so, you know, I keep hearing that, and I'm a big believer, the number one thing we've got to do is make sure that we create a warm, welcoming environment. One, uh, one thing that I know, one school in Colorado, an administrator I'm really well connected with, he's, he's calling it, we can't wait for our family reunion. And when we all get back together, whenever that is, it's going to be our family reunion for educators and for students. And, you know, that we've got to create this sense of we're coming home. We're coming back to a safe place. The academics will be there, but we've got to make sure we've got the, the, the emotional, the mental supports in place before anything else. And I would, I would totally agree with that. I think that never before in history have students ever wanted to go to school so bad. And I think there's going to be that, that big surge of people wanting to be there and students wanting to be there. And the, it's a, I think, to echo what Mark says, you're going to see a wide range of academic levels because there are students who are actually thriving with the online curriculum and they're actually doing better than they were in person. And so I think being patient with the academics is going to be a big part of it and providing space and opportunities for the social components that the students haven't had for the past couple months. You know, Tyson, you bring up a really, really, really good point because that social development is probably more important in many respects in the academic development. And right now our kids are losing those social connections. They're losing that in-person ability to right there in the moment, um, be with their friends, be in those spaces. Everything is done much like we're doing it right now, which while we're connecting, we're also somewhat disconnected. So figuring out how you can build those activities, they're going to allow for kids to re-engage, begin to develop those social relationships and mix it up a bit. For many of our kids right now, their social circles have become very, very narrow and they're, they're missing some of those other friends and they may be uncomfortable re-engaging with people that they got disconnected from 
during this quarantine. So how do we pull that together and help our students understand uh, and develop that social interconnectedness that is so important to development at this time? Absolutely. I feel like I'm gonna be an extra echo here that the, the relationship components are so key. We have kids who are at home, they're isolated, they're with their family units and they're, and there may be honestly varying levels of safety with these kids being at home. And so how do we help um, bring them back in, make connection, help them with reconnecting and really lean into those fundamental components of relationship that are gonna help them reestablish that sense of safety and security that they're then going to be able, we can't do, we can't do education if we're not having trauma-informed, really consistent, coherent relationships that are then gonna give them that foundational safety that they can go on to do the academic pieces. But we really have to think about how do we help you reconnect relationally so that you can feel safe and held and then consider a meaningful way to engage from an academic standpoint on top of that, which I know is hard because education, we're, we're supposed to be doing math and science and all the things, but <laughs> we can't do that if we don't have really good connection and relationship. Well, I think that's a perfect, you know, I'm a big believer as an educator, and, and this, this is a controversy in education. I'm a big believer in Maslow before Bloom, right? Yes, we want to get kids to rigorous level of understanding and, and get into academics and get to high levels of academics, but that's not going to happen if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel cared for, if they don't feel loved, if they don't have just their basic needs met. And so I think more, more so than ever right now, this idea of Maslow before Bloom has to be at the forefront of what we do. And then Another piece of advice to administrators and school leaders as we get ready to come back to school, don't expect for it to be normal. Um, you, I, I keep hearing about when are we going to get back to normal? When are things going to get back? We don't know what normal is going to look like moving forward. And so be willing to be creative, be willing to be patient, be willing to go slow at the beginning and kind of see how we do this. And then I really encourage you. I know we need to do this at Newburgh. Um, a better job of this. And, and I hope that we do this throughout the summer and into the fall, involve our students in the conversations. Yes. And get to know what yes. do they need? What are, they, what are the things that they really want to see out of this school experience when we do start to get back into regular school? Don't forget to involve the students in the conversations. You know, Mark, I want to bounce off what you're saying here in response to the question that Toby just had, because part of what we're talking about is how do we establish and re-engage in the rituals? this school year disrupted the rituals. And it was remarkable. I did a talk to be well, and I had some students from Tualatin Tigard School District who were on talking about what were they gonna miss at the end of the school year, at the end of their senior year. And it was so powerful. And I thought they were gonna talk about prom and graduation. Those were not the things they talked about. They talked about the ability as seniors to pass on to the new students coming in, uh, what it meant to be an academic leader, what school meant to them, to be able to share their wisdom, whether it was through a retreat, through some type of, of leadership experience, through some other type of, of ritual. That's part of what sets safety in schools. So Toby, when you're looking at a new school moving into a new area, you've got to have that blend of old rituals and new rituals, because that's what helps ground our students and give them some continuity. And how do we reestablish and honor those rituals going into the new normal? And how do we maybe get rid of some of the ones that, that weren't all that helpful to begin yes. with? Yeah. Don't be afraid Absolutely. to do that. Absolutely. Um, so 
going into that and talking about how students can stay connected, what are um, easy and daily mental health exercises that maybe you guys do to stay connected with uh, your friends and family or with work? Um, and what can students do to relax? Also, there was a question. Um, someone asked, uh, what is Maslow? So if someone wants to uh, explain that for us too, that'd be, that'd be amazing. <laughs> you three probably know it way better than me and Mark. <laughs> Go for it. So just a really quick sum up. So Maslow, it's, it's, a, it's a psychological theory looking at health and well-being. It's kind of this hierarchy of needs with this idea that kind of at the very top is self-actualization, but we can't hit that top point of the pyramid if we don't hit the base layers that look at things like our physiological needs. So food, water, shelter, and then safety goes on top of that. And then on top of that are like our esteem needs. So it's kind of this progression of we can get to self-actualization, but we really need to have a sol solid, safe foundation in order to make that happen. So perfect. 30 second version. Amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. All right. But but now we've we, this is our cue here, fellow psychologists. What are the things that we do? What are our brief mental health exercises that we bring to the table? I know you got more in your box there, Jerry. Absolutely. So I I, I love working with teens. And I think one of the things that I talk with my teens a lot is how do we build in really small, tangible, doable things that are practical throughout your day that maybe it's not, you can't take a 30 minute timeout, which I would love if we could all get a 30 minute timeout to really practice. But can we do in between each of your classes if you're shifting your Zoom class from one to the other as you are, if we get to get back in that physical space, walking to the threshold of the door, can we do some really good square box breathing? The just intentional low and slow deep breathing to kind of reground and reset. So we're, we're really doing nice and slow in. I have my kids count to four, kind of hold that breath with a deep diaphragm expansion because that really helps to downregulate the body from a physiological standpoint. And then a really slow exhale. And the thing that I love about breathing is I tell my kids, you can do it anywhere and no one is gonna know that you are working at downregulating your body. You can do it in class, you can do it in the hallway, you can do it at home while you're driving and no one is gonna know that you are really working at downregulating in a really doable, meaningful way. And so helping them find those small strategies, but then also pairing it with something that they're doing. So like every time you walk through the door, you have to do box breathing for 30 seconds. Every time you get in your car, you're gonna do it before you turn the ignition. So it just helps to pair it with those daily activities because we all get busy and we get distracted. And the first thing that goes are those meaningful coping strategies. It's just out the window as we're racing to the next thing. And so really how do we tangibly, I do it for myself when I'm walking from one exam room to the next to see my patients. It's 30 seconds to help downregulate and repause and recenter before I do that next thing. So small, tangible, doable things. I just did it right there while you were talking. <laughs> Excellent. And use in addition to that, using other resources like Headspace, Calm, even just going to YouTube and finding a quick two, three minute mindfulness activity that you do as a group. And that can be done through Zoom or in person. And having that part of the ritual of class can be so helpful, but it's also yes. modeling to them that this is a good, healthy thing to do. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, how would you um, kind of help students who want to assist their peers on this same mindfulness techniques and exercises? How would you help them? How would, what would you um, tell them to encourage? Like what are some tips to get in, get other people into doing the same thing even though you know it might not be a normal 
Um, but how can we make this into our no normal routine? You know, I think part of it is how we show up online with each other, because now we are in the space of online. Um, and if we're having a, a group chat or a group activity, we have a tradition at Providence where we do a reflection whenever we start a meeting. And that's just kind of that level setting space where maybe somebody shares an inspirational quote or something like that. But sometimes I also like to go in there and at the start of our, our meeting, do a deep breathing exercise or take a moment ah. to think about gratitude. Starting to post on your social media pages, links to things that make you grateful, links to things that are helpful in how you stay mindful and well, and sharing those things and normalizing them and making them as normal as sharing your makeup tips or, mm -hmm. or sharing other types of yeah. things like that are some ways that we can use social media and digital for good. Uh, mm -hmm. Digital wellness is our new normal. And that was part mm -hmm. of what we were looking for and work to be well. So think about how you show up on your social media and how you can bring gratitude and peace and calm and live that out to your peers is gonna make it safe. Yeah, I love that you bring that up. Uh, actually, this morning on our school Instagram and Facebook, I did a, a post about challenging our students. Before you do anything else on social media today, you have to make one positive post. And just that idea of before you like or comment on anything else, make sure you are adding positively to your circle of influence. And, and what are you doing to spread that positivity? And then imagine if everyone did that if what we see online when we jump on is just the positive things that people are saying and posting and encouraging. I think uh, that's that's healthy for us as individuals because yeah. it puts them in a good space. You know, I'm thinking positively, mm -hmm. but then also there there's a sense of um, accomplishment or a sense of uh, I'm doing something good for someone else by encouraging them. So now it's helping me in multiple ways, but then it's also helping whoever comes across that post and whoever reads that post. So uh, I love that. Great, great point, Dr. Robin. Absolutely. And I think the more, again, I'm kind of a little bit of an echo chamber here, but I think the more that we can normalize and build this in as part of our group norms. So we had the opportunity working with the athletic department this past year that we did mm -hmm. six behavioral health interventions for the entire athletic department. Um, we did big groups and we did small group check-ins. And so I think we made DBT-based skills, so like breathing, grounding, relaxation, something that all of the football team was doing and something that all of the basketball team was doing. And so it was a really exciting way to do these big group interventions. So everybody knows that y'all have to be here if you want to go to practice. You have to get through Kiami first. And then we're going back and doing those small touch-ins with each each of these different athletic groups and the kids, they were so engaged and so excited. And then the coaches could help to reinforce and then we could really do kind of this big population-based push on these really doable, tangible, meaningful skills. But it became part of the, the group lexicon for each of those different athletic departments on this is how we, this is how we talk to each other. This is how we're going to take a pause when we're shifting or when we're frustrated. And that just having that shared language and that shared lexicon between the kids, the coaches, the athletic department, I think was a really exciting and meaningful way um, to just normalize these skills that we're talking about, that it doesn't have to be kind of this niche thing, but it can really be a normal thing that all of us ideally would build into our routine every day in a meaningful, doable way. Um, thank you. Okay, Joe, you're just talking about this, but our next question is, what is the best strategy to bring attention and focus to this topic year-round without bombarding students with it? Um, wanted to be a part of school culture to take care of each other and empower students to take action to help others. Um, this is especially difficult when the majority of staff members are not willing to add new elements into classroom lessons that could help um, with this. What do you recommend? 
So I'm going to bounce off that last question into your next question and share about some of the strategies to bring things into the classroom, go directly into the new normal of social media. The work to be well, Insta and Facebook right now are running 24 days of take care of your mentals. For those of you who are Seahawks football fans, you remember Marshawn Lynch, right? Marshawn Lynch came out with that interview and said, you got to take care of your chicken. You got to take care of your mentals. And what he meant was you got to take care of your mental health. So we got 24 celebrity influencers, primarily athletes, football players, and the like to come on our page every day and talk about how they take care of their mentals. Part of why that's important is that we have celebrity influencers and people that our youth relate to, because trust me, they may all like me, they do not relate to me, (laughs) you know, because I don't speak the right language and I am kind of funny sometimes when I mess up. But the celebrity influencers who are talking about their mental health issues right now are really important ways that teachers can use those. Start your daily announcements in the morning during the 24 days of May with a video from a a celebrity. They're right there on the Work To Be Well website. You can pull them down, drag and drop, and take care of your mentals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And not underestimating the value of what a quick a quick video can do, that it just becomes part of that norm. It doesn't have to be a 30 minute lecture or something that really needs to be intensely put through with an objective and an outcome that you can say, you know, here's a 30 second snippet of how this athlete manages their mental health. Something for you to think about. Now let's go on with our history lesson. someone just posted in the comments that it's better if it's short. I agree that in some ways, if we can do these really short little bursts and drops, that that adds up over time to become part of this really meaningful culture. I think the other thing is like also taking advantage of some of those passing cards. Like Mark, I work with Newberg, so I get to call you guys out, um, has been incredible that there have been these like, these like really intentional pushes for how do we as administration do acts of kindness and service for the staff. So I've seen staff members like making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for kids, finding meaningful ways to connect with with kids just in those passing times and hallways and really I think seeing kids and knowing kids and then doing those brief mental health check-ins as part of just that passing period is also a really lovely way to just continue those positive drops in the bucket that can go so far. Yeah, I think a lot of the times when we start talking about, you know, mental health in schools, it can be this really overwhelming and intimidating topic uh, for both students, but also educators. Um, Because a lot of times it is kind of this one-time focus, maybe at during one assembly of the year, or maybe for one week during the year. And it often goes to the big heavy topics that are, we have to deal with when we talk about mental health. And so I think for, for school admin, my encouragement would be, what are you doing in the way of professional development for your teachers, for your educators around mental health support and mental health awareness? Because I think if we are going to ask and expect our educators to be that positive influence and, and be ready to make that impact in the classroom, we've got to first make sure they feel prepared and that they feel like they can have this conversation or at least that they have somewhat of an understanding because mental health you know, challenges uh, and mental illness, uh, it's just as important to make sure that we're taking care of our educators and our teachers. And so administrators, you know, I know one thing that at Newburgh we've done is we've had Dr. Jerry, you've come in several times now over the past couple of years and presented during staff meetings and shared some really good data with us that I know for me, when I see that data specific to Yamhill County and specific to our population of students, it's, it kind of hits you in the gut, like, whoa, 
this is a real thing. And so there is a need and there is, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of wakes us up to, okay, we do need to pay attention to this. And so I think even before we start talking about the impact we're going to have on the students, we got to make sure we're, we're yeah. bringing our educators into the conversation mm-hmm. because then we're not only are we going to have three or four really dynamic awesome adults who are ready to have the conversation. Now we're going to have 120 on our campus who are prepared and and ready to to have this conversation. Absolutely. And I think part of that staff development piece, Mark, I love that you mentioned that is also thinking about how do we look at our entire system and thinking about things like trauma-informed education that maybe we don't need to like rework an entire curriculum, but if we can get a teacher to think about what does trauma-informed education look like in my classroom? And are there just a subtle couple of subtle small shifts that I can make that's going to make my classroom be warmer, safer, more inviting, and really consider that trauma component that these kids are bringing in or that we ourselves are bringing into the room with us that impacts how we act and react and interact um, are also, I think, really meaningful components to thinking about holistic health and holistic education. Yeah, and and I think a lot of it too um, is just our, our messaging in general. What type of words are we using? You know, when we talk about mental health, that can be kind of scary and intimidating at first. I love that we at Newburgh High School, we have we don't have our mental health center. We have our wellness center. And so just that idea of it, you know, you might not be someone who struggles with mental illness, but we all have got to focus on our wellness and we've all got to focus on our mentals and on our mental health, even if you don't have mental illness necessarily. And so just just some of the, the verbiage that we're using and, and how we talk about mental health from more of that positive lens, I think that can go a long way with making people more comfortable and willing to engage them in the conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's also important to make sure that students have that opportunity to engage in conversations like that. And not all students will engage in a verbal conversation in front of a teacher. And so having places uh, electronically, whether it's Survey Monkeys or other, other opportunities like that, even just as uh, uh, an email where they can set, voice a concern about students, about things that are going on in the school is so important. Um, how has uh, educators and um, counselors at school, how have they been working to kind of make sure that this is going to like run smoothly and like what ideas have been coming into mind for next year um, while thinking of students and their mental health and wellness centers and like how, what have you guys been doing to kind of prepare for next year? Well, I know part of what we've been doing is working on more curriculum to get out into the field. Um, we've, we've got to have resources available that are written in educator-friendly language, um, that are written with you know, the expertise that we hold as psychologists in developmental you know, understanding of mental health and all of these issues. But if you as a teacher are gonna go in and talk about depression, uh, you don't wanna get into a place where wow, you're now over your head. So part of what we want to know from all of you is what are some of the areas that that you want more curriculum built in? Um, what are some of the areas that we can work on over the summer that are going to help support um, that educator-friendly language? I think one of the things we're trying to focus on right now with our school um, in regards to prepping for next year and just this anticipation of knowing that we're going to have a lot of students with need and even a lot of educators with need when we do return um, is just 
overall awareness of what are the resources that are available, mm-hmm. currently available. Um, and so I know we're, we're going to be doing a push. Uh, we're working on putting together a mental health assembly, uh, virtual assembly uh, for later this month in the last week of May. And so much of that assembly is just going to be around the awareness. Um, and then again, like Dr. Robin said, you know, what do our, what do we need reaching out to our students and starting to ask them and get feedback from them, uh, as to know what supports do we need to have in place for whenever we do get back into the building. Um, so I think first it's just the general awareness that a lot of schools, you probably already have a lot of resources available. Do your educators know about those resources and do your students and your families know about those resources? Cause I think unfortunately a lot of the time, and I've experienced this even at Newburgh, before we got really big with the wellness center and and having all that, we had some stuff in place. We just didn't advertise it well. And so making sure that awareness is out there. Amazing. Thank you. Um, And so since we're focusing on what we're doing next year to um, for team building and relationship building, what are we doing um, now online, um, whether that be in Zoom calls for classrooms or whether that be for counseling groups or maybe work meetings? How are we still building relationships and bringing our teams or our relationships together? You know, I think there are a lot of things that we can be doing right now to pull together. One of the things that comes to mind are getting engaged in community activities as a school or as a classroom. One of the great activities coming up at the end of this month, I think it's May 30th, Chris Bonaf will chat into the chat box if I'm wrong about this, but NAMI Oregon and NAMIs all over the country lost their ability to do their 5K NAMI walk. Uh, NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. There are chapters all across the country. And so what they decided to do was rather than cancel their walks, on May 30th, there's gonna be a virtual walk. And wouldn't it be great if you all as classrooms and schools and stuff like that were able to chime in, join the virtual walk, it's free, and walk together in support of mental health. That would be an amazing opportunity to do something that is physically active, educational, but also gives you a chance to post Instagram posts on your your school website of everybody walking virtually together and find something, and maybe NAMI's not your thing, but find a community activity where you as a school or you as a class can join together around something together and be part of. Those are the things that are going to help bring us all together. And I see Chris posted the link right there uh, in the chat box. I think those types of things are what's going to help us stay connected while we go into the next year, but also give an opportunity to talk about mental health. Absolutely. I think provide time and space during Google meets or zoom meetings mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with the academic comment uh, content and just with being together and being in relationship with one another. I actually had a staff member who let me know. They said, Hey, I really appreciate that. You don't just dive straight into the agenda of the meeting that you, we just talk for five minutes, you know, or another thing we're doing as a staff is on Fridays, we've been having kind of a social hour where we tell them in big, bold letters, this has nothing to do with any type of agenda. No information is going to be shared. We just want to get on. And that has led to some really funny, very memorable moments. Um, <laughs> we're, we're having fun. And, and we, we don't even normally do, we didn't normally do that before this very well. Um, and so just providing that space uh, and that time and you know whatever we can do to make sure that it's not all business that we are just mm-hmm. taking time. I, the other day I, I had a business call with one of our teachers and uh, after we were kind of done with what we were doing, we ended up staying on for like 25 minutes 
just talking about life and about each other's families. And we both texted each other later that night, like, that was really refreshing. Thanks for the, spending the extra time just chatting. Um, and so making sure that, as, especially as administrators, I know we've got a lot to do, don't make it all about business. Take care of people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, so we answered our five questions, but uh, good thing we still have more time and we still have more questions. So um, <laughs> our next one is going to be, uh, I have noticed that um, my school has an incredible counseling and mental health programs in place. I don't feel like we have maximum re- representation and participation because there's a sort of feel of um, fear for participating. Do you have any suggestions on how to encourage classmates um, slash friends who need um, mental, help, um, mental health help to reach out? I think it's important that counselors are also reaching out themselves, that they're in the classroom saying hi, that they're building relationships before the student is in need. And so that it's a familiar face and it's easier to go in when they are in need. You know, Dr. Payne, you bring up such a really, really great point. Um, Years ago when I was in Central Oregon at Sisters High School, um, we actually had the, the student counselor basically be able to roam the building as, you know, that was the expectation. He didn't have an office. He went into the lunchroom, sat at the lunch table, visited different tables, visited different areas, held drop-in groups and things like that. And now more than ever, you are so correct. This doesn't need to be the person who's behind the glass door in the office. This needs to be the person who's out there at different activities, coming in, being a guest speaker in your classroom and pushing those different types of boundaries and relationships with people. Everybody can be a counselor. And as Dr. Jerry says in the ECPR lesson, everybody can save a life. Mm-hmm. Equipping ourselves, and I wonder, Jerry, if this might not be a really good time to just hit those basics of how you connect with somebody and the basics of ECPR. Yeah, so there is, on the Work To Be Well website, there is um, one of the curriculums that we put together that I'm super passionate about. It's called ECPR and it's a a unit on how can we respond to youth who are in um, crisis or high risk. So we all know what to do if someone has a heart attack. We call 911, we do CPR. There's, there's a really set protocol on how we should respond. And so the idea with eCPR was that we take that same kind of framework and come up with a really structured way to respond to someone who's having an emotional health crisis. So um, E is for the emotional. And then the C stands for connect. So it's really this idea of how do I connect with people, see that there is something going on, ask the question and be able to be really direct. Like, I noticed that you're struggling. It seems like your your mood has been different. How are you doing? Are you safe? Are you having thoughts of suicide? Um, And just being able to really directly ask those questions. And then the, um, the P is for partner. So once I am able to connect with you emotionally and open that dialogue, how can we partner together to get you to the space where you need to be? And I think this is one of the things that is so important is I think as I, I get, I see teens where they're like, I was on the phone all night with my friend who was suicidal and I couldn't hang up. I didn't know what to do or staff that feel like they have to hold those conversations and aren't sure how to connect. So this idea of partner is really I, I see you, I see where you're at, and I'm gonna help you walk to the counselor's office. We're gonna call youth line together. We're going to um, go connect with a, maybe it's a pastor or a safe person in the community together. That my job is not to own, hold, or be responsible, 
um, but that we're going to partner together with, a, with the R for Respond um, in a way that's going to help to promote safety through a variety of the amazing resources that are available online, on the phone, or in your respective districts and areas. So check out the, the website. I, I really am super passionate about the ECPR um, stuff. So, and we have some data on it that there's some really great outcomes from kids. So we, we actually ran it last summer at, the, um, at, Sarah's, at Sarah's camp and the data for pre-post with ECPR is fantastic. So it's good. And now we have data behind it, which win-win. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know one of my edu heroes, uh, Philip Campbell, he, he is a, his big mantra is make sure as an educator, you are always telling kids, I see you, I hear you, and I love you. You don't have to have all the answers, you know, and that's what I hear you saying, Dr. Jerry, is you, you don't have to be the one to come fix it uh, as the mm -hmm. educator. You know, you've just got to be there and walk alongside them and get them to whoever that next person is, capable individual is. Um, but, you know, have that be kind of our how we approach these situations. And then I think another big challenge for administrators or for all educators is are we making ourselves vulnerable to make sure that students understand that we might be struggling too, or we've had our struggles too. Because I think sometimes for a lot of us who have uh, mental health issues or have mental illness, you know, we feel like something's wrong with us and that we're going to be judged because we're going to have to go talk to all these other people who they've got it all figured out, right? Because you're the professional psychologist or you're the school leader, you're the educator, your life is perfect. Um, you know, and so are we as the adults um, willing to make ourselves vulnerable and share some of our stories. I think there's so much power in that when our students mm -hmm. can see us as more than the math teacher or the assistant principal or the school counselor or the school psychologist. But no, I'm, I'm Mark Brown. I struggle too, but I got help and I want to help you. And here's some resources that I've used. And, and I think that might break down some of those barriers that people create for themselves of, you know, having to expose ourselves to people that we respect, knowing that, well, I respect them a lot more because they're real people too, like me. Absolutely. And that's hard. It, that's really hard to do. Um, please don't hear that and think like, oh, that's, that's easy. No, it, it's hard. But I think if we can get to that level as educators where we are real and honest and vulnerable with our students, that's going to build those relationships and then increase those opportunities for connection. Um, going more into that, Mark, how, like, what advice and what have you done personally? Um, I know some teachers right now feel, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to sound rude, but like, uh, feel like they're failing at what they're doing. This is not, this is not what they were, um, this is not what they went to school for. This is not how they want to be educating students. This is not how they want to be, you know, teaching and in, in a classroom setting, this isn't the normal. And like, how, what would you say to teachers or what would you recommend for teachers or educators or anyone in this position who feels like their job or they might not be doing the best that they can do right now? What, what advice would you give them? You're doing great. Um, <laughs> yes. Thank you. I guess it sol solves everything. <laughs> you are, you're spot on, JJ. There is no book, no textbook, no class that I took in my undergrad or my master's or, you know, it doesn't matter how much education you have behind you. Nothing has prepared us for what we're experiencing right now. And so I, I just continue to tell people, hey, even if today's Zoom class went terrible, that's okay. That was a learning opportunity. 
you learned maybe how not to approach that type of lesson in the future. So good for you. That's a win, uh, you know, but just to encourage people that you're doing as long as we are doing the best that we can, as long as we are approaching everything with a positive attitude, with the intent to make a positive impact on our colleagues and our students, and if we give it our absolute best effort, we can't go wrong. We might make some mistakes. We might have some really good learning opportunities. I said, hmm, maybe I shouldn't do that again. But um, as long as our heart's in the right place and we're doing everything we can to, to support our students, you know, I applaud all of you. You're doing, you're doing great. Yeah. Um, and one, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, oh, sorry. I was going to say in healthcare, we've got the same experience. Um, when I, when, when all of this started happening in healthcare, um, we were looking at, and it's an amazing, stunning statistic, uh, across Providence, we have a telehealth service. It's, it runs across all seven States that we're in. And in March of 2019, we thought we were cooking with gas and doing really great when across the system, we saw a record 500 telehealth visits. And that's everything, behavioral health, stroke, um, you know, virtual care, et cetera, et cetera. To just give you an idea of how fast we all had to pivot, this year, I think the statistic was um, in the month of March, 2020, across our system, we saw more than 340,000 telehealth visits in one month. So talk about a, an entire industry that went from, you can't do that. There's not a billing code for that. You couldn't possibly build a connection with somebody and make a relationship. Um, every one of us had, had now has new equipment, headsets, Zoom cameras, everything. We went live uh, in a minute in healthcare from being something that was reliably, you had to come into my office, you need to drive to see me to, you know what? I'm right here on your smartphone. I am right here. And, and that amazing pivot, I know was hard for my team. I'd be curious about Dr. Jerry and Dr. Tyson's experience with that, but I can't imagine how hard that's been for educators as well, because you've always been told that's not how we do business. Yep. Absolutely. So I think this, I, I also do a lot of supervision for trainees. And so I've had a number of trainees who are like, I'm not doing good enough. I'm not doing good therapy. Like I'm not doing the deep work. I'm like, we have not been trained to do psychology in the middle of a pandemic. Like there's not a class in grad school on how to do pandemic-based psychology. We, you're on a new system, a new platform. You're teleporting yourself into their home. Like you are doing well. And that if we really kind of take that step back and think about what does it look like to in a meaningful way in the midst of a pandemic and give ourselves some grace and some self-compassion as we're extending that to others. I think that's a really, a really meaningful piece to consider that I went from doing 10 to 16 visits face-to-face -face in my office, kind of clicking along to now I need to like, I need to teach people how to use Zoom. I need to teach people how to get connected. I need to teach my staff how to do this. I need to get myself on there. There's this whole new level of peace and component that we are trying to navigate and to do. And so to really think, I made it through 10 visits today and that is a really good thing. Was it glitchy? Did we have some IT hiccups? Absolutely, but we were, were still able to make that really intentional, meaningful connection in a way that provide support and compassion for people who wouldn't otherwise be able to get it. And so I think the same thing goes for educators. It might've been chaos trying to get everybody in the Google Hangout together, but we were all there. We got some laughs in, we figured it out and 
And next time we can we can shift and adapt for the next piece that we're going to. That I think this is a really, it's a unique piece to challenge some of our flexibility, but also extending that same compassion we're giving to everybody else to <laughs> ourselves as we are you're doing this differently. Like I've not had a psychology pandemic class. I'm I'm winging it, but we're making it. <laughs> so and, and to kind of echo what what's been said too, like I loved it when I was in grad school or in other things and my supervisors would mess up because it showed yes. me they were human. And it also modeled to me like, okay, what do you do when things don't go well? Mm -hmm. And and so taking those failures and just showing your students how to like, okay, this didn't go the way we wanted. We're going to roll with it. We'll make the best of it. And we'll try to laugh at it as best as we can and move forward. Because that's going to happen with them too. And giving them the, the flexibility to know that they can recover, I think is also mm -hmm. such a powerful lesson. Like I tripped, I fell, it was a disaster, but look at me, I'm up and I can recover and we're going to continue mm -hmm. to try. I think that's also a hugely empowering lesson for, for kids and the people that we're working with that I mess up too, but we're going to figure this out. I love that, Dyson. I think uh, during this time, a lot of people are asking, or maybe not asking for help, but are needing help. And especially um, educators who are teaching lessons or who are doing these meetings, and then, you know, they might mess up or then they learn, they learn how, how to be better and how to um, fix things for the next time. But I think a really key point is when learning is asking your students what what how they got the information or what was the best thing that they did during this time um, I know a lot of students are feeling very much overwhelmed with assignments and things are being due and how teachers might not really know what they are doing so they're just kind of overloading students with work but I um, I just want to put out there that I think it's very important for uh, teachers and if you're a boss and if you're teaching other people how to work zoom or how to um, do a job during this pandemic. I think it's just great to open up and ask them what what they need from you and what you can give to them. Um, I, so thank you so I much. I feel like we should, I should be putting some of our students on the payroll through our tech department because anytime <laughs> I need help, I reach out to the yep. students because the, you, your generation, you, you, guys, you guys got this stuff figured out. Um, so I love that point, great point, JJ. And I think, uh, and I think students really like when they can prove to their uh, teachers that they're smarter than them on in some aspects. So um, I know we're all tech geniuses, so we always got ya. Um, so this question um, is great to flow. Um, how do I, as a student, help educators at my school better understand and establish a better relationship with students that struggle with mental health that might have that they might have never experienced before? So how can students kind of recognize signs within teachers who might be stressed or might who who might feel overwhelmed, um, whether that be in the classroom setting or right now? You know, I think there's a, a lot of ways, you know, when you and I know I've had this for me when I see that I'm getting tense and and maybe I'm not my cheery normal usual self. Uh, and if I show up online uh, for a meeting and I'm tense, that's kind of the trigger that somebody on my team will say, you know, hey, take a deep breath. Hey, take a minute. Hey, you know, what's going on for you? And there's a, a term that we use in trauma-informed care where instead of saying to people, what's the matter? We say, 
what matters to you? And how do we start showing up and asking the question of, of what do you need today? What matters to you today? Because that may be as far as we get in, in a day, in a, in, a, in, a, in a conversation with somebody is just really that showing up and asking, how are you? And then taking a breath and listening and really listening. What matters to you today? Everybody needs that, whether you're a teacher, you're a student, you're an administrator, I guarantee you, we are all gonna hit the wall during this pandemic because as, as Dr. Jerry said, there's no class in the psychology of pandemics. It just didn't happen. I, there will be uh, next year, there will be, it'll be on everybody's curriculum. Uh, but uh, for now, we've got to figure out how we help each other when we hit the wall. Cause I guarantee you, if you haven't hit a wall yet, wow, your wall is coming, you're gonna hit it. Um, and for many of us like me, uh, we've hit our wall several times and it's the grace of our good friends and the grace we give ourselves and each other to try and help figure out that we're all human in the middle of something so incredibly unreal and inhumane. Um, we've got to figure out how we bring that humanity back. And I'd encourage students, any students out there watching, check in with your teachers just like Dr. Robin's talking about, it doesn't have to be just to your peer, someone your age. I have personally had some uh, students who have reached out to me during this time and given me some encouragement. And as an educator, that absolutely makes my day. Just some simple notes, uh, you know, a quick email saying, hey, I appreciate what you're doing or keep up the good work. Or, you know, one of them said, even called my daughters by name because they know my daughter's name and said, hey, I hope you're having fun spending more time with Addie and Rose. Um, and when I get that kind of message from a student, I mean, it just changed, changes everything about my day, no matter how good my day was or no matter how challenging my day was. And then, you know, before this closure, I even have one memory in my mind that I had a student who I had a good relationship with. We worked real close together, um, knew me pretty well and could tell that I was having a really bad day. Um, and, uh, obviously my mood was in a bad spot and I was probably a little bit, uh, short in the way I responded to people and they kind of called me on it. And this was a student talking to me and assistant principal and said, Hey, Mark Brown, what's going on? You're not yourself today. And there ain't nothing that'll put an adult in their place more <laughs> than a 17 year old young man calling you out in a respectful way, in a loving way. Um, but you know, I just encourage you again, it goes back to those relationships. If we have those relationships yes. in place, we can provide that loving support uh, for one another that we need. Absolutely. Absolutely. I said those, like where we started at with talking about relationship, having those really intentional connected relationships that we can lean into for, for positive support. But part of a really healthy relationship is also when that person can kind of hold up that mirror just a little bit and be like, hey, Jerry, you are, you are smacking your head in the wall. It's time to like pause and step back just a little bit. And I think that, can be such a, a supportive connecting and, and healing space is that someone is seeing me and seeing that I'm like ramming my head through the wall and that I need to give myself that little bit of space and distance. And I think that can be so empowering and so helpful because sometimes when we're hitting the wall, we don't always catch it right away. Well, I think we're coming to an end of our um, panel, but I would just like to say thank you all so much for joining today and taking time out of your days. I know it's very stressful and we all have a lot going on, but I think having these conversations and opening it up will bring a lot of insight and a lot of motivation to um, people um, in any aspect or in any field to open up the conversation and make sure everyone around them and to make sure that um, uh, they themselves are are doing um, the best that they can do. 
Um, and I'm going to let Robin kind of do our outro right now. So I want to thank all of the committee that put this together. Sarah Nillis, Vanessa Tharp, Kim Carr, Britton Gray, Denise Semper, our host, JJ Riddle, Domarie Cummings, Yusuf Godil, Regina Fernandez, Dr. Our, our panelists, Dr. Jerry, Dr. Tyson, and Mark Brown, our other host, Susie Sales, our, our great breathing exercise, Ashni Patel, um, and also some of the rest of our committee members, Emily Miller, Sam Gutierrez, Lena McLaughlin, Joey Solomon, Brianna Boyd, Haley Bell, Vivian Lee, who has been such a great Instagram host for us today, Finn Jacobson, Kiana Hamada, and of course, the wonderful Lisa Heller, who sang us in this morning with her amazing tones. Mm -hmm. This conference would not have been possible without all of you, but also without the support from, I get a little emotional, Providence, mm -hmm. The Oregon Association of Student Councils, Wellbeing Trust, and of course, the great folks at Hashtag I Can Help. Work to Be Well is an amazing gift that we want to give to our partners in healthcare, the education community, because we're the ones who are going to heal the world. So thank you all for showing up. Follow us at Work to Be Well on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, LinkedIn, and check out all the free resources at worktobewell.org. 